BeastNet is brought to you by James Safety Services and in partnership with Beast OCR. Here we discuss all things OCR and fitness related, running, endurance, conditioning, wrecking, and more. Welcome to BeastNet. Hey everybody, it's Mike with BeastNet, and on this episode I've got with me Rob Barger. Um, Rob, why don't you let everyone know a little about you? All right. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. Much appreciated. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the real quick summary is uh, I am the founder of Red Path Performance Group, and that started, uh, there's a larger story, but uh, it started uh, two years ago, just a, a training group, uh, getting people ready for endurance events, obstacle course races, uh, go-ruck events, that sort of stuff. Uh, my other okay. job, my main gig, if you will, the one that uh, provides the health benefits, is I am the director of travel for a Spartan race. So it's, uh, you know, I, I do what I have to do so I can do what I want to do, that sort of thing. And just like the rest of us. <laughs> do what we Absolutely. have to so we can do what we want to. So tell us a little bit more about the the, the Red Path performance. Because that, that was one thing in your, you know, that's really interested me. I want to kind of learn about that. Well, it all started way back in 1998 at a little bar in Alton, Massachusetts called the Kinbara. And I was uh, hanging out with a couple of friends. Uh, it was a Saturday. We're uh, just drinking some beers. There was a, a big old projection TV, and they were showing a rugby game. And uh, mm-hmm. as, it, uh, as this conversation was happening, uh, there was a, a particularly nasty play uh, or a series of nasty hits. And as the camera zoomed out from this pile of bodies, this one guy stood up and he just had blood trickling down his face. And his name flashed across the bottom of the screen and his name is Brian Redpath. And I was like, Ooh, Redpath, that's a strong name. And the look on this guy's face was like, yeah, this is what I do. This, this is my job. I, I, I do this all day. Like, oh, that's a, that's a strong yeah. name. That guy's kind of a badass. And at the time, I was working at Guitar Center, and uh, I, I fancied, well, maybe someday I'll be a DJ, and I, I need a name. So, you know, Red Path, that sounds cool. Not DJ Red Path, not MC Red Path, just Red Path. Well, uh, as time goes on and people get a little bit older, the dreams of becoming a superstar international DJ kind of fall by the wayside. But the, the yeah. word Red Path kind of stuck with me. And eventually it started to take on a little bit of a mantra. And from the Isaac Newton quote, if I have seen further than others, it's because I have stood on the shoulders of giants. Red Path became uh, the road to success is stained with the blood of those who have failed. And it's not necessarily all doom and gloom, you know, blood all over the place sort of a thing. But the idea is as you're traveling down the road of life, there's turns to the left, there's turns to the right. And if you see that there was, that something went wrong, if there were mistakes that were made, even if those mistakes were your own, those are mistakes that you can learn. As long as you don't repeat those same mistakes over and over again, you're going to be okay. So it's, it's mm-hmm. more about learning mistakes and continuing on in spite of those mistakes and actually uh, probably doing better because of those mistakes, you know, learning from it. So that uh, became a little bit of a personal mantra. And uh, I was living in Las Vegas, and I started doing a little bit of training with the uh, uh, boot camp Las Vegas and Julie Johnson out there, and I thought, you know, maybe I'll get into training. You know, people on first training. So when the concept of Red Path as a uh, training group started to happen, and I didn't want it to just be Red Path Fitness, which is why it's not 
specifically Red Path Fitness. I didn't want to be pigeonholed as just somebody that did this, this training thing. So uh, it's somehow the icon of an actual RPG, a rocket propelled grenade, came into mind. And so I thought, RPG, that's a nice acronym. So I started you know, just yeah. spitballing some ideas and brainstorming, came up with Red Path Performance Group. And uh, with that, I started talking to people that are related but not necessarily part of fitness training. So there are people that are yoga instructors, physical therapists. Uh, I have a, a couple of people that I go to that are firearm instructors. And I started to build this group of people. So now I have a, a pool of uh, subject matter experts that I can tap into when the need be. And about two years ago, I decided to finally flip switch on the, the training portion of it. So at that point, I started to take on clients and getting them ready for everything from uh, Spartan races to uh, hurricane heat to go rough events, uh, ultra marathons, if that's what they uh, Basically, if it's something related to endurance or being outside and enduring something that's a little bit uncomfortable, that's what I try to help people get ready for, both uh, you know, the, the typical mental and physical preparation. That's awesome. And I mean, that's kind of, honestly, like this podcast started off as, you know, talking just OCR and all that kind of stuff. And then I realized, you know, same thing you said, why pigeonhole myself? Let's, let's talk about everything. So, you know, fitness, you know, everything that gets a person through those obstacles of life. So that's awesome. So. Well, one of the ideas behind uh, expanding a little bit outside of just uh, obstacle courses is uh, everybody, well, maybe not everybody, but uh, you recall the uh, fitness craze of the inline skating and rollerblades? You don't really really see too much of that anymore. So there's a possibility that if things go sideways, then obstacle course racing is kind of going to go the way of the uh, the rollerblades. But I mean, people are still running 5Ks and 10Ks and marathons and that sort of thing. So there's, there's still some stuff around. So I'm uh, trying to expand the, the offerings to make sure that it's, uh, it's varied. So there's uh, people from a bunch of different areas that can uh, seek benefit from it. Yeah, and that's kind of how we were with the podcast. It's like, you know, we had the same thought that, you know, not everyone wants to talk about OCR, but fitness in some way, some level is always going to be around. It might be, you know, like you said, all of a sudden people start doing inline skating again. Who knows? But, you know, that was a craze that, you know, I remember years ago, everybody had inline skates and it was just huge and it lasted for, you know, a while and then all of a sudden went away. So it's kind of, like you said, not pigeonholing yourself into one spot. Yep. Diversity, that's the key to uh, longevity. Yes. So I love the, I love the diversity. And like you were talking about, you know, yoga, um, which is great. I love yoga. Um, but the, you were talking about firearms and all that kind of stuff. How has that worked into your training? Uh, well, a friend of mine, Mike Trapani, he does, he's a firearms instructor and he does a lot of, uh, a lot of pistol competitions. And there's some physical components to it. It's not just standing on the line firing at static targets. There's you know, some dynamic yeah. movements and that sort of thing. And over the past year or so, I've actually started to get into more of the firearms uh, events that GORUCK offers. And you know, if, if you do some GORUCK events, you understand that their cadre are top-level people. 
and then you do yeah. an event like Constellation Immersion Expedition for some of the firearms days, and you realize that there's more to these people than just making you carry heavy things for long distances. There's a whole pile of skill sets that they have, and uh, it, it would be just right irresponsible to not take advantage of that and to learn from them. So one of the things that I've been trying to offer is that I'm events that are convenient for people in the Northeast is to try to stand up some events where people can come and practice similar skills from a qualified firearms instructor, not just get together with some buddies at the range. See, that's cool. That's pretty cool. I have a friend of mine who lives in Florida who I've known for years that has really gotten into the firearms and I've seen the videos, and it's like you said, I always thought, oh, you just stand there and shoot at things. No, these guys are running. They're trying to get through. It's a, it's a course almost, and you're taking shots while you're running through this course, and you're trying to get through it with time and accuracy. And it's, it looks something I've always wanted to try, and it looks very, very difficult. It's not something that's just easy. Absolutely. Yeah, I think one of the things yeah. that really is going to bring a lot of attention to that is movies like like the John Wick movies. Everybody's sharing those videos of Keanu Reeves shooting uh, at a couple of ranges. And what they don't understand is that Keanu Reeves was competitively shooting even before those movies were made. So that's one of the reasons yeah. why he looks so good. He's been doing it for a little while. But it's something that is brought to the forefront because of the popularity of the movies. Much, I suppose, like archery became popular when the Hunger Games movie came around. All of a sudden, everybody wanted yeah. to name their daughter Captain because they wanted to buy a boat. Yeah, and, and that's true. And I know there was also videos of, I can't remember the, I'm horrible with names, the female actor that was in John Wick. There's a bunch of video of her doing the, going through the same kind of training that he was, but she was new to it. So she was just learning it for the movie where, yeah, you can tell Keanu Reeves has been doing it for a while. So, which is, yeah, it's a sport that I would love to get involved in, but yeah. So do you, have you been able to, Oh, go ahead. It's fun. It's it's one of those things that, uh, it costs a little bit of money to put the the hardware and the ammunition and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's not like you can just get like a trail run. You just put on your shoes and go for a run. That uh, takes a little bit of planning. But it's something that you can get creative with. Um, if you have access to an outdoor range and they'll allow you to set up some blockades and obstacles, you can get creative with what you do on the range and you can change it up every time. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. It's one of those things, too, and it's not just... Most of those guys aren't just going to the, the gun store and buying a random gun. They're... They're modifying them. They're making them so that they work, you know, and getting a gun that's specific for their style. And, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see. I've talked to a few guys about that. So, all right. And now we're going to take a quick pause so we can hear from our sponsors. Do you like challenges that are fun, tough, and might use tacos? Head on over to BeastChallenge.com and check out our upcoming events, including Beast's 5K+, Plus, a combination of race and endurance event, and the Bucket Mile. Keep an eye on the Beast OCR Facebook group for event gatherings. For more information, head on over to BeastChallenge.com and the Beast's OCR Facebook group. You'll be glad you did. And we're back. So, what other kinds of, I know you kind of mentioned them quickly, the yoga, stuff like that. What other kind of things have you incorporated into the training to just, because I mean, 
it sounds like an all-around training, and that's kind of one of the things that I've looked for out here on the West Coast and, you know, in the Pacific Northwest is you have the CrossFit, then you have the normal gym, and then occasionally spread around every once in a while you find a ninja gym. But for me, it's like I've wanted something that's in the middle of all that, if that makes sense. I want something, you know, it's almost like Bruce Lee when he, you know, made a Jukundo is he took the best of all the different styles and made one style. And that's kind of what I've been looking for, like in a gym. And that's almost sounds in a way, kind of what you've done is trying to try and take the best of everything and make it into its own kind of performance. Is that kind of an accurate idea? <laughs> uh, it, I don't have a, uh, a physical facility that I train out of. I'm more mobile yeah. on the move. Yeah, I, I train where, wherever I, I train wherever I can. But when I have uh, some events or you know, some some classes, I'll try to find a place that will best suit whatever class that happens to be. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of tough to find places that will give you a wide variety and don't cater to um, specific niches. Like, there's a couple yeah. of places, like you're saying, the Ninja Warrior type gyms, and they've got some uh, obstacle variations, and they'll run some, some other workouts, but it's kind of tough to find somebody that's going to do everything because yeah, that, that usually involves a lot of overhead, a lot of equipment. You know, that's just kind of, you know, with doing obstacle course racing and stuff like that, you know, if you try and pick, you know, which we don't get a whole lot of them up here, but different brands, you're going to get different types of obstacles. And that's kind of, you know, it's what someone once said something, what Spartan is the, what did he call it? The suffer? Like a lot of the obstacles in like Spartan are kind of like the suffer obstacles, uh, you know, the, the, the sandbag carry, the, the, you know, the bucket carry, they're obstacles that, I mean, it needs strength, it needs conditioning and stuff like that, but there are obstacles that you suffer through. You know, you just yeah, kind of suffer, it might not be the right. Yeah, but they're, you know, but if they're ones that you just kind of, you, you pick it up and you go and you endure through it. You just do go through it. You know, other obstacle courses, ones that I've been through, it's, they're quick, fast obstacles, but, you know, you're going to need upper body strength to be able to climb. And that's kind of, you know, what's hard sometimes is you get to some of these places and they're like, we're going to train you to do a Spartan. And it's like, cool, well, I want to go do this other ones where I need more of the quick reflexes, you know, because they have... It's a lot less of the big, heavy carries, but, yeah. And that's kind of it. It's just finding the gym or the training program that kind of gets you an all-around, you know. So. It's one of the things that I do with the people that I train with is uh, I try to stay in touch with them on a regular basis so I can tailor the training to whatever event they're they're planning on. So if somebody is training for stuff like a Spartan event, yeah, there's going to be rope climbs and monkey bars and that sort of thing. Lots of hanging obstacles, so lots of pull-up yep. motions. But they'll be doing they'll be lots of pull-ups. If somebody's going to be training for a go ruck event, they're probably not going to be doing many pull-ups. So uh, one of the things that the go ruck cadre love to do is to make people stand there and hold their rucks directly overhead. So while the cadre yeah. are going on for what seems like way too long, while you're holding your ruck straight overhead, one of the ways you can prepare for that is to do more overhead movements, more push presses, more military presses, and uh, something that really gets people going is just a static hold, just holding something heavy overhead for a minute. It gets amazingly heavy. Yeah. 
So no, changing, up, uh, changing up the way that the, uh, the training goes based on the events that people are planning on. That's, that's a good plan. That's a good way to do it. And that's one of the things I know for me, I've found a new gym here that I really like and all that, but that's kind of the hard part is, is none of the trainers have ever done a Spartan or any kind of obstacle course race. So it's kind of like trying to explain to them, okay, this is, oh, they're like, oh, like American Ninja Warrior. No, not really. When you go to a, when you go to a big box gym, I don't want to name any names for fear of missing one or, or misrepresenting, but when you go to a gym that's got a, let's say, a regional or a, even a national presence, and the, one of the trainers approaches you, like, hey, have you ever thought about you know, hiring a trainer? And then you start asking them questions, like, are they familiar with the events that you're training for? And they don't know what you're training for. There's really, it's kind of tough for a trainer to plan your workouts towards something that they're not necessarily familiar with. It's not entirely yeah. impossible, but if you show up to a gym and you're wearing a 50-pound ruck and you're doing bear crawls all over the, uh, the freeway area, they might look at you like you're crazy, but that's something that you need to do for the event that you're training for. So if they don't understand it right away, uh, it's, it's a kind of a, a situation where you don't necessarily want to tell them, hey, no thanks, you know, go screw it, I can share this myself. That's actually an opportunity to invite them to participate with you, to, that you can be their yeah. guide on the course in the event. Yeah, you know, that's actually the, the trainer that I've been working with. He's talked about, uh, I've been talking to him, because the gym that I go to, it's actually part of my membership, is I get you know so much time each month with a trainer. So. And when I've been talking to him, it's like, okay, you know, oh, I'll show him videos and some of the stuff. This is kind of what I'm talking about. You know, I need to be ready to do this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Nice. So I know, uh, so we talked a little bit about the, the red path. Um, the other thing that you said, you're, you, you're, you've been with Spartan since what, 2013? Yes, June 2013. Nice. So, and you are the director of travel. So, what does that mean? You just you you get everyone their their planes, or? <laughs> yep. Uh, most of what I do involves the, the build crew and the festival staff for the races themselves. Just right now, we have 63 mm -hmm. races in the United States. Plus, you know, we're in 40 different countries. Uh, I handle a lot of the direct uh, the domestic travel. And now that Spartan U.S. has taken over some of the, the Canadian races, I might be taking over some travel for that. Uh, but also, like, when we have international races, that's kind of a, let's say, a big deal. Like, we've, we've got our the championship race in Greece. We've got the, another championship mm -hmm. race in Sweden. Uh, the, the two last two years we were in Iceland. I was coordinating the travel for that. So lots of flights, lots of rental cars, uh, lots of logistics when people miss planes, or, you know, delays happen and that sort of thing. Uh, luggage gets lost or there there were a couple of times when somebody winds up somewhere and they didn't realize it when they flew wherever they were going, but their passport expired while they were out of country. So trying to coordinate the you know, passport <laughs> renewal while somebody is on the other side of the ball. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. That would be a... And the oh. thing for me is uh, about a month I want to say, uh, yeah, about a month. Uh, about a month after I started the start race uh, was when I participated in the death race. And at the time, mm -hmm. uh, I was not only dealing with all the travel stuff, I was also Joe DeSena's assistant. 
So it was fantastic that I was being essentially hazed by my boss a month into my employment. Nice. Yes, so you participated in the death fun. race? Uh, yes, uh, 2013, 2014. And then I was on staff for 15, 18, and 19. Uh, unofficial finish in 2013 and official finisher in 2014. So I have the $6 plastic skull, yeah. And I, I've talked to a couple of other people that have the, the, the plastic skull, and it's one of those things It's like, not to sound bad, it's like it might be a $6 plastic skull, but you know and other people who would know what that what that $6 plastic skull really is worth to you. So, I mean, that's a... Yeah, all the work leading you, up to that. What you went to through, not just, you know, at the death race, but preparing for the death race is, yeah, that's that's amazing so it's one of those things that's on my bucket list eventually maybe but I uh, with some of the injuries I've had and other stuff I think it would be a tough one for me but I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility so because nothing's oh, completely like out of the realm I like of possibility I break it down to its base level and it's really just three days of walking around in the woods it's, it's a dumb good time <laughs> That's a, I think that's the best way I think I've ever heard it explained. It's a dumb good time. So, yep. You're just, yeah. yeah, you're out in the woods doing dumb stuff with your friends. See, and then I'm okay with that, but it's the the three days that I, I'm not sure my brain can wrap around. You know, I've done it for 12 hours, 13 hours, but I'm not sure about three days. Well, at some point, you, uh, you just go into autopilot mode. You go into the drone zone, as they say. And you just you just cruising right along. Uh, I, I remember 2014. I think it was we're in the second night. And we were going up and down the mountain, and all I could repeat to myself over and over again were the words "sun up, please." And that evolution lasted from midnight to 7 a.m. And it was just "sun up, please" until the sun finally came up, and then everything was good. Wow. Yeah. As, I, I, as uh, people like to say, we are solar-powered animals. So once that sun comes up, you know, your personality changes, your demeanor changes, your attitude changes, everything becomes okay again. Yeah. I, I will have to say, I have been, I've been on races or, or events before where you do get that uh, uh, a mantra, as I, as I call it, starts going through your brain. And that keeps you moving. I know my favorite normally is just keep swimming. No, it sounds yep, stupid, but that's what, yeah. Yep. When all of a sudden it comes down to, like, every part of me is like, you're done. Just sit down and be done. And my brain just, that's what I'll just start chanting. And sometimes even out loud. So people will look at me like, you're crazy. I'm like, whatever. It's what keeps me going. Just keep swimming. All right. And now we're going to take a quick pause so we can hear from our sponsors. Like what you hear? Make sure and subscribe and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're using YouTube, please click the little red subscribe icon, then click the little bell for notifications of future episodes. And if you could, give us a thumbs up. And we're back. So, have you participated in a lot of Spartan events or more, like, I know some... Some people, employees, do participate in events. Other ones just kind of, you know, 
do their stuff as employees, and that's what a lot of those guys have to do, like the build crew, all them. I don't, and yeah, I don't think I could do an event after everything they have to go through normally. But uh, no, those, those what guys can, do their own. They do like a ten or twelve day death race for every event that yeah. they're, they're working. They, yeah, that's a, a, a yeah, very difficult job. I mean, they're outside for twelve to fourteen hours a day, for ten days in a row, regardless of the weather. And they need to make it happen, otherwise, you know, thousands of people are pissed. Yep. And that's one thing, like, uh, Hammond has always surprised me, where you see him putting together the course, helping on that, doing the trail master thing for a week before the race, and then he'll race, like, on San- Sunday. And you're like, how do you have the energy? <laughs> well, he's a wizard. He's, he has a maniac. Oh, yeah. Oh, he is. He is. Is I keep bugging him. One day I'll get him on this podcast. He he keeps telling me yes, and then yeah, he's yeah he's a slippery one. <laughs> yeah, but he, he's happy. I, I remember I think it was a Breckenridge race two years ago. He did a, a Facebook video, and he's standing there at eleven thousand five hundred feet, and he's like, "Yeah, this is where the bucket carry starts, and it just goes up from here and points, and the top of the mountain just seems so far away." So he he got a lot oh, yeah. of frowny faces for that one. Oh, yeah, but he's smiling the whole time, and he loves it. Um, yeah. Yeah, my history with Hammond is 2016 in Montana. I had two team members that got hurt during the Montana Beast, but we wouldn't quit. We just kept going. It was 12 and a half hours that we're out on the course, you know, making sure everybody finished. And he caught up to us as the, the sweeper. And my friend looked at him and says, you can do whatever you want, but we're finishing this race. And he looks at her and says, that's the great attitude. Everyone behind you quit. Let's go. And stuck with us for three miles. So, and I mean, it was just, it was awesome. So, yeah. But, so I'm looking through the the list that you sent me of all the stuff that you've done. And that's a lot of stuff. Um, I've done a couple of things. I go places and I do things. I know. It seems like it. So, let's see. Counter custody and improvised weapons class. What's that? Uh, well, there's a, a a guy. Let's see. I guess I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Um, a guy named Stephen Detoma of Gauntlet Endurance. Uh, he mm-hmm. lived in California for a while, and then he moved to exactly the town that I live in. So rather than yeah. see that as competition, I was like, oh, this is cool. I can team up with this guy. And he, he actually only lived here for a little while, and then he and his wife moved back to California. But while he was here, we had a bunch of conversations, and he said, have you heard of this Instagram page, Ben's Manifesto? And I was like, mm, nope, never heard of it. So looked it up, started paying attention to it, and uh, Ed Calderon of Ed's Manifesto was doing some pretty cool stuff. Uh, he's been working in Tijuana in border towns for the better part of like, 15, 20 years. And he's learned a lot of things on the streets out of necessity. Like he's got some tricks that he does with handcuffs. And people say, how did you learn to do that? Or, who did you learn that from? And he said, I learned it from a 15-year-old gang member. So that sort of thing, like learning things the hard way out of necessity. Well, yeah. he takes his show on the road. And so last May, I had Ed out for a counter-custom improvised weapons class. And I would have him back out in February for another class. Uh, but it's essentially how to escape things like uh, zip ties, duct tape, handcuffs, um, how to improvise, uh, like locally source weapons, and how to make uh, how to make things of opportunity, MacGyver type stuff. 
Now that sounds pretty cool. Uh, so you, you've yeah, definitely piqued my interest in that one. Yeah, one of, one of his things is you'll never go into a Hobby Lobby and see it the same ever again. Everything in Hobby Lobby is a weapon. So yeah, I could see that. Take play. And on day number one, he goes through like, the menu of offerings. You pay attention to that, take some notes, and there's some practical hands-on stuff that you develop these skills. And uh, the first night, you have a homework assignment. And then the second day, you show up, and there's a little more class work. And then there is there are field exercises, right? You need to demonstrate your understanding of the, the lessons that you learned in the previous you know, day and a half. And if you don't demonstrate proficiency, then it's terrible because your your zip ties, your duct tape, your handcuffs, and he's just he's making the situation not necessarily it's not life threatening, or you're not in physical danger, but uh, the psychological stress is there because. You know you should be able to deal with the situation because he taught you how to deal with it. So surprisingly, yeah. most people get out of these situations that he puts them in in just a matter of minutes. But if they were not trained to do so, they would struggle and they would probably get to the point where they're going to quit. Wow. Like I said, you, you definitely piqued my interest on that one. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's your time. Uh, just practical life skills, that sort of stuff. Nothing. You're in Virginia, right? Uh, no, I am in Massachusetts. So Massachusetts. Uh, that's going to be February 15th and 16th in Massachusetts. Okay, Massachusetts. Okay. Wow. Yeah. See, that's just, but he does that's classes all over the place. I might have to look that up. You said it's Ed's Manifesto. Ed's Manifesto on Instagram. That's pretty cool. I'm gonna check him out. And and he was see, on Joe Rogan maybe a week after he did our class, and his oh. Instagram following went up. Uh, he was at like fifty thousand followers, and his his followers went up for like one hundred and ten thousand in a very short amount of time. Oh, I'm sure. Joe Rogan's got a lot of followers. Yes, he does. Does your business need first aid, AED, OSHA, flagging, or other safety training? James Safety Services is your one-stop shop. Find them on Facebook today at James Safety Services Wall and ask for a quote on hosting your training needs. Let's see. And then on, and also it says Sisu Iron with Team Sisu. So that's, I've heard, I've heard a lot of good things about Sisu. So. Yep. Darren Harris and Team Sisu folks, they do good work. Uh, I've been, uh, I was a participant in Sisu Iron in, I want to say, 2014. And then I was on staff for a couple of years after that. And uh, we're actually talking to Darren about being on staff again for the 2020 event coming out in May. So definitely a good time. It's in the, the mountains just north of Los Angeles. And uh, nice. it, basically, Darren and uh, a bunch of other people, they founded Team Sisu based off of their experiences at the death rate. So it's, uh, yeah. it's an important event, but it's also you know, the, the, the mental aspect of it. It's not just a physical thing. Like it's, it's not just like the world's toughest mother where you're going for 24 hours. It's a you know, 36 to 40 hour event, but there's some mental challenges. Uh, uh, Brandon, uh, uh, what was his name? Oh, uh, all of a sudden, I'm drawing a blank. I think, but uh, there's there's another group, uh, Brandon and Odette, that pair them. They run something called yeah, Two Pump Kids, and uh, they do a couple of events in Arizona, and it's 
similar in nature to iron, where physical events, but there's also mental challenges involved. So, like, point accumulation, that sort of thing, uh, like a go-no-go gateway. Hmm. Sounds pretty cool. There's so many things, and that's... It's one of the things we've really tried to highlight on this podcast is for a long time, you know, we talked about the big guys, you know, and nothing against them. They're great. Spartan, Tough Mudder, all those. But there's so many other little ones around, you know, and I guess little isn't the right word, but smaller companies that have great events, you know, because I know I think Sisu came up and did, they did one up here in the Northwest earlier this year, I believe. Yep. So yeah, and we had a yep. yeah, and we had a few people that did that that you know we had on afterwards that talked about what a great fun event it was. So it's definitely something I'm looking at maybe doing next year. So fantastic. Yeah. So I was looking at the list of like everything you have. So. <laughs> So there's well, a lot of just, stuff you've done for Spartan. Uh, I don't remember which. Well, I don't remember which list that I sent you, but there's stuff that dates back to like 2009, let's say. Everything from Ragnar relays to um, basically every event Goldrock has to offer. Um, yeah. I mean, with the exception of the Star Course, I haven't done a Star Course. Um, I, uh, I have a friend who's done two this year. Okay. So. Yeah, it doesn't look like. Yeah, I'm not. It didn't work into my schedule, and. Yeah. Um, it seems like a good time. I know some people that have done them, and some people that I'm working with for training have done them. Uh, it just hasn't worked out with my personal schedule. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, with doing everything you got to do for your day job and then, you know, the other stuff you've got going on, I mean, yeah, you seem like a very busy guy. So. Uh, yeah, sometimes by design, sometimes because I forget that I have... Uh, committed to something and I, I tend to overcommit. I have a hard time saying no sometimes. Yeah, I have that problem. My 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 wife gives me that look all the time when I tell her, hey, I'm doing this. And she's like, really? Along with everything else? I'm like, yeah, you know. Yeah, so. Because I have, I do this podcast. I have another like nerdy podcast that I do with a friend where we, you know, talk Marvel and all that stuff. And then I actually have a radio show that I do with my kids that's on a internet radio station so yeah that's a comedy show and I mean it's so there's yeah those are just a few things and along my day job I'm a safety professional for construction companies so I go to job sites I travel a lot and go to job sites and basically make sure people are being safe and then I teach OSHA classes and first aid CPR all that fun stuff too so I have a whole lot that I I do to keep myself busy and then obstacle course racing, obviously, but <laughs> yeah, you know, just for fun, something on the weekends, something on the weekends, something to keep me keep me going. So I know this year I'm pretty much done. I've got one more. I'm doing the Spartan in California on in December, and I'm doing a marathon on December first. And other than that, I'm done for the year. So yeah, yeah. Sometimes you got to take a break. Let yeah, yeah. recover Until, mentally, physically, catch up to all that stuff that you've been pushing to the side because of those things that you, you feel you need to do. Yeah. Nope. No, I agree. So everyone needs a break every once in a while. So, yeah. So I know I was looking here. It says on the, the for Spartan, you're the co-founder of the Spartan 
HH 12 hour. Early developer Spartan Agogi. So you've had a big, it sounds like you've had a lot to do with the endurance side of Spartan. Yep. Uh, I remember the early conversations regarding the 12 hour hurricane heat, some of the concerns that people were going to have. But, you know, comparing it to other events, other companies that have 12-hour events, um, and then actually being out in Las Vegas, leading Hurricane 12-hour 001, which was, uh, was a pretty good time. It was definitely a learning experience for everyone. And then being involved with Tony, uh, talking to Joe about Agogi, which at one point we were developing as a three-tiered process where there would be checkpoints at 24, 48, and 60 hours um, so that like, you could you could step into it for just 24 hours and you could stop right there and everybody else could keep going, which eventually something like that else, well, something else like that kind of popped up in the, the form of what's called the H3X. But uh, I, yeah, I like to say think that uh, I've got this one email that I saved and it was an email back and forth between me and Tony about the actual Spartan Agogi, like you know, the typical, like the movie 300, you know, that Agogi. And it's where I mentioned the yeah. word Cryptea. And he said, well, it doesn't easily roll off the tongue, but I think there's something there. And it's kind of nice to say that uh, that's what uh, people that lead the Spartan uh, Hurricane Heat are called still, but they're still known as Cryptea. Yeah, which is awesome. You know, I've done, it's been a while since I did a Hurricane Heat, but... I mean, they're, they're special. I've never done a 12 hour. Um, it's just never, I'm not huge on the endurance. Um, I think it's something that I, I, I want to step into more next year. I think that's one of the things that's kind of on my, on my mind. I want to do more, but it's something that was never big for me, but yeah. So it's definitely something I want to do, but just haven't yet. So I know they've done the 12 hour. Now, one thing the listeners may not, do you know the, where the hurricane heat came from? Yes, I do. Like the original hurricane heat. Some of the listeners may, may not know this. I've heard over the years a couple of times, but is that something you could kind of let everyone know, kind of the, the origins of the hurricane heat, why it actually is called the hurricane heat? Because most people don't realize it's called it for a reason. Yeah, actually, there's um, somewhere on the website, I know there's a, there's a little FAQ about it, but it started on the East Coast, and it was 2011. Spartan was having a race at the Amesbury Sport Park in Amesbury, Massachusetts, and I believe they ran the race on Saturday, but this is when Hurricane Irene was barreling down on the East Coast. So the town of Amesbury mm-hmm. told Spartan, you guys have to cancel your race on Sunday. And uh, Joe isn't necessarily a big person on being told no. So he decided, all right, we're going to send out an email and tell everybody that the race is canceled, but sort of hint that we're going to be there anyway. And I, I believe someone in the neighborhood of 150 people showed up. And he took them, you know, they did a whole bunch of burpees. That's the first thing, of course. So they did a whole bunch of yeah. burpees. They went through the course, you know, front ways and down ways and sideways and back ways. And, okay, we're going to carry these heavy things over here. And then we're going to pick up this thing and we're going to move it over there. And they were just all over the entire race course for about four or five hours. And when they finished, there was nothing to really give away. It was just sort of the moment thing. At some point, 
not too long after that, somebody said, you know, we should do this all the time. We should do this on a regular basis. And that being the uh, spark that jumped up, it, that became something that they would do on a regular basis. And the hurricane even started, and it was usually often at 6 a.m. on Saturday morning. And it just became something that was just done. It wasn't really planned. It's just something that happened. And the person that was in charge of it was really just whoever had the opportunity or whoever wasn't busy Saturday morning. They were in charge of the hurricane heat. And it, yeah. it typically became the work party. Like uh, one of the things that was done early on was restacking of the firewood for the fire jump at the finish line. So wherever the company mm-hmm. would just dump the wood, one of the first things that the hurricane heat participants would do would be to move and restack the firewood. And then there were a bunch of other things that they wound up doing, like moving obstacles. The first hurricane heat I did, we wound up moving containers of sandbags a half a mile, just one sandbag at a time, moving them a half a mile. And it was just because it was kind of like forced labor. It was almost like the death race where stuff had to get done. And, well, you're here, your hands, and just you're picked up this thing and go. Yeah. I say I know both. Every hurricane heat I've done, we've stacked the wood. And usually it's yeah, one of those. Really, don't really do that anymore. It, it became a, kind of a waste of time. I'd say it's one of those things. It's been a while, but my last one I did was in 2016. So it's been a few years. But, yeah, we had to stack the wood. And I think the first time, I can't remember. One of them we had to do it, like, in a special shape. And then the other time, I can't remember what it was something, but I can remember we got in trouble because we didn't do something right. But, yeah. But, yeah, it was it was interesting. It was definitely a fun time. I know both times I've done it. The first time I did it, uh, Dingo was a cryptic. And the second time I did it, Dingo was a participant and was my partner through the whole thing. Yeah. So... Yeah, Dingo was a participant, was my partner through the whole thing, which is funny. My nickname is Pretty Mike, and I got that on that hurricane heat. As we were going through, because my long blonde hair, Dingo kept calling me Pretty Mike through the whole thing. And by the end of it, that was just what, that was now my name. So. (laughs) And and there it is. Mm -hmm. So it shall be. Well, uh, through a change of leadership, the person in charge of the Hurricane Heat and the Hurricane Heat 12 Hour is now Andy Hardy. And Andy has been in charge of the Spartan Workout Tour for a while. And she has been a participant in several endurance events, including but not limited to Agogi 000. And uh, she's been around the death race a couple of times, a couple of Hurricane Heats here and there. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the Hurricane Heat and the 12 Hour changes in the next year or so as uh, Andy's influence is felt across the board. And she's, she's got a couple of ideas, and she's got some things she's trying to implement, and uh, hopefully that will make the event better. And even people that have done several hurricanes will find something new and something interesting. See, that sounds interesting because I know Andy. I've met – I've been part of Street Team for four years. So when she's come up here – and ran a couple of the workouts, the Spartan workouts. So I met Andy a couple of times. She's she's a good one. She's she will put you through it. So that will be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah she's no stranger to doing work. 
No, she's not. And she's no stranger to making you do work. And it's one of those in the workouts. And I know when they come up and do the workouts, it's not easy to really push people because it's a lot of people that are trying to just get off the couch, you know, and start. So, but she was always really good at finding that spot that the sweet spot that, you know, would really push just about everybody, you know? So yeah, that'll be good to see. It's always good to see the change sometimes. It is a little bit of new blood sometimes in a, a, an established event can change things and shake things up a little bit. So that'll be good. Yeah. Absolutely. So like I said, knowing Andy, it'll, it'll be good. It'll be a good thing. So right on. So is there any other any other events that I'm missing that you've been you've been involved with? <laughs> uh, well, uh, other than the, the the usual stuff, like I said, I've done a, a bunch of go rock events, uh, a bunch of Spartan events. Like the the only Spartan offering that I haven't participated in is a gogi, and I was on staff for several of those. And um, oh, just running around doing stuff. Uh, yeah. Iron. Uh, I, in August, I ran my first ultra. I did the, the Anchor Down Ultra in Bristol, Rhode Island. It, uh, myself and my buddy Tovar and Andrew Blair and Charlie Denny, we just ran around a two-and-a-half-mile loop for, I don't know, way too long. Oh, you did an ultra and then a two-and-a-half-mile loop? That'd be interesting. Uh, well, the, yeah. the cool thing about that was you were only out for a short period of time, and then you're right back at base camp, so... It's not like you were doing a 10-mile loop where you you really had to make that decision of, oh, do I really want to go out for another loop? Because it's going to be a while before I yeah. get back. So with, with a two-and-a-half-mile loop, you're like, all right, even if, if I go slow, it's going to take me half an hour. I'll be fine. Yeah. No, that that does make sense. Uh, it does. Because it's kind of – I know it sounds really weird to kind of compare that, but it was like this year I did Hawaii – and I think a lot of people have said that they would rather have, like, the longest race last. And I'm like, no, if the longest race wouldn't last, I never would have done it. The only thing that let me, like, even get up and go for the, the sprint at the end was the fact that I'm like, I've already done a beast and a super. This one's only three miles. This will be fine. <laughs> you know. Well, uh, I, similar, I guess similar to that, uh, Gorok offers their HTL, the heavy, straight into the tough, straight into the light. And yep. something that Darren Harris was telling me about uh, recently is someone has set up a custom event with GORUCK. Uh, I believe there's a, a regular scheduled event. There's a tough and then a light back-to-back. But then a group of people got together, and they have convinced GORUCK to offer a heavy. So it's an ELH. It's a 12-hour into a 6-hour, and then you do a 24-hour event. So, yeah, that's, that's a bunch of work right there. That is. See, it's, I, I'm definitely a firm believer in doing the, you know, the smallest one last. Even though sometimes that can be, I mean, it can be bad because there's been a couple times where I've gone to a Spartan weekend and it's like, you know, I'll do Saturday's race and then Sunday will be a sprint. And I'm like, eh, I can get another sprint some other day. So I'm going to take a, I'm going to relax. But if it was the other way around, it's harder to find a sprint or a beast. So it's like, you know, I'd always do. Yeah, always do the bigger race because I know it's harder to get. But 
Yeah, I don't know if I could do. I have a couple friends that have done the HTL, done all three, and I'm like, I just, yeah, I don't know. That seems like a lot. So. Yeah, well, yeah, it's definitely a lot of work. Uh, you know, you're starting on a Friday, you're ending on a Sunday, and uh, yeah, it's you just have to grind through it. And of course, there's the preparation for it. You can't just go in without preparing for an event like no. that. Uh, and then you have to do the work, but you really have to stay ahead of the pain and just convince yourself, uh, like the whole just keep swimming mantra, you just have to keep yep. going. Like when the, the cadre is done, when you suck, you just have to realize, okay, I, I suck right now, so I need to figure out how to not suck. And then because it's because the uh, light, the tough, and the heavy are all team events, everybody needs to really come together as a team because you're, you're not all going to be rocking it all at the same time, 100% of the time. So riding the rainbow of emotions, as I like to say, um, there are times when you're going to be the strong person that needs to help out somebody else, and then there's times when you're going to be falling apart and you're going to need to rely on the team. So you take care of the yeah. team, and the team will take care of you. Oh, yeah. I, I, I firmly believe that. That was, you know, Hawaii was one of those things for me where I fell apart on the second day because I had had major foot issues. And if it hadn't been for my team with me, I would have just sat down on that mountain and been like, cool, send someone to come get me. I'm done. <laughs> Yeah. Team is, yeah, team is everything. Yeah, a good amount of uh, good-natured ribbing or peer pressure doesn't hurt either. No, it doesn't. No. No, it doesn't. It's, I've been enough of those where all of a sudden it's like, you know, I'm going to quit and then, you know, someone starts ribbing you and you're like, really? I'm going to show you. I'll show you what I can do. <laughs> so, yeah. Nice. You, you suddenly you, you're uh, you're back into it. The fire gets lit, even if it's just yeah. because you're irritated at that person, and you just you want to show them that you can do it. Yeah, but I mean, it works. It, it really does. All right. Well, we're we're coming up. I usually like to keep these about an hour, and we're right about at that mark. Um, what would you like to tell the listeners in closing? You know, as we're we're heading out. Uh, I think one of the things that I recently, well, maybe not recently, but uh, let's say 2012 when I was running a whole bunch of Spartan races, I was uh, wearing the timing chip and I would go fast and I would would get to the finish line and head over to the result table and I would see how I did, you know, how I ranked overall, age group, gender, all that sort of stuff. But I realized that I was missing out on a good portion of what the the race was about. The the idea Mm -hmm. of tagline about ripping people off the couch or you'll know at the finish line, that sort of thing. Uh, so in 2013, yeah. I stopped wearing the timing chip because if I if I did that, then I wouldn't be able to check my standings. I wouldn't be able to check my rank. So that kind of forced me to slow down, and it allowed me to appreciate the stuff that the course managers do, like Steve Hammond and Woody Peters. Uh, those guys are awesome. They put a lot of work into what they do. And uh, some people mm-hmm. don't realize what the course manager does and uh, the amount of work that they put into it. I mean, they don't just go out there and just throw course marking tape uh, just randomly throughout the trees. Like they'll, they'll physically walk the course for a whole day just looking for places for that they think the course should go that they think will improve the quality of the race for the participants. So I, I found that by going fast, uh, I wasn't really enjoying the course that much. And I'm not wearing the timing chip. Now I, I can slow down. I don't have to worry about it. It doesn't matter if I go fast. My, my time is the same. It's zero. Uh, but then I was also able to 
spend a little more time with some of the obstacles and aid with other participants a little more. Like, get to the eight foot wall. You're good to get to the wall, jump up, grab the top, put yourself over the wall, boom, jump. So, jump over the wall, yep. but then back around the other side and help people that are having a little bit of a difficult time. And if there are times when you'll come back around the wall, you'll also help people, and they'll look at you like, no, no, go ahead. I don't want to slow you down. And you just have to look at them like, no, I'm good. This is fine. I'm here to help you. It's okay. I'm going as slow as I need to go. So they, people yeah. really appreciate the fact that you're doing a simple little thing that seems like you're sacrificing your own race, but that's kind of what you're there for. You're there to help other people improve what they see as a physical obstacle. Maybe it's a physical manifestation of some emotional or intellectual obstacle that they're trying to overcome. And once you help them get over that wall, they really genuinely appreciate it, which is kind of nice. So slowing down, enjoying the course, and uh, even for other events like Go Ruck events, somebody might be looking at a Go Ruck Tough Big Five or 12 hours. I don't know if I can make it that long. So sign up for something that's a little bit smaller. Sign up for the light. And realize, as we mentioned, that if you take care of the team, the team will take care of you. So don't get scared or intimidated by it because uh, the last time I checked, the success rate of a Go Ruck light was near 99%. So just about everybody that signs up and shows up, that's the important part, uh, just about everybody that shows up for a go-rock light finishes the event. And then you start yeah. to meet the community people that will help you take the next step. And one of the things that I thought was really powerful about uh, when I was leading a uh, Spartan Endurance event was the people that looked like they had the, the deer in the headlights look about them at their, their first hurricane heat. It's a four-hour event. They're not carrying any weight. But they just have this look like they're scared, they're a little anxious, they're nervous, they have no idea what to expect. And then six months to a year later, they're knocking down 12-hour events, and you see them on social media answering questions for people that are now the deer in the headlights. So uh, as yeah. the, the expression goes, the big ones take care of the little ones. And then all of a sudden, bring up that next wave of people, they're the ones that are helping the next wave of people. So just the evolution of being the person that has no idea what you're doing to becoming a resource that other people are going to for information. So I guess the, the, the gist of it is just dare to dare. Just try it. And what's the worst that could happen? You don't like it? You don't succeed? You know what? you got to do it. you gotta find out. Uh, you got to find out what you need of. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I know what you mean by the, the walls. I know I've, I've spent upwards of 15 minutes or longer at a wall, just sitting there letting people climb over me. They look at me like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm already here. Go for it. You know? So it's, I've always been the type of person I've never really worried about my time. I know I've never been that fast of a runner, even when I was like in the best shape of my life. And for me, it's, if I help one person finish that race that didn't think they'd be able to get over an obstacle and whatever, then I did my job for the day. So, and to see that smile when you see someone get up over one of those walls and never thought they'd have a chance, you know, is worth more to me than any first place. So, yeah. Yeah, there was a 60 Minutes interview with uh, Joe DeSena. Uh, I think it was 2013, and it was actually right next to the race course at a race in Malibu. And the way that the uh, the interview was set up is that uh, the 
the interviewer was looking at Joe, but just over the interviewer's shoulder as Joe was looking at him was a slippery wall. And he, Joe kept looking over the guy's shoulder. So eventually the guy turns over his left shoulder and he's like, what, what are you looking at over here? Why, why are you looking over here? And the, the interview broke off to this woman that was trying to get over this, this wall, just, you know, a couple of sheets of plywood with a rope on it. It was covered in mud. It was all slippery and everything. And Joe says, you know, this is a woman. She's been trying to get over this wall the past couple of minutes. She keeps falling down. She keeps sliding down the wall. And she could go around. I mean, it's it, obvious you can just go around the wall, but she's not here to go around the wall. She's here to get over that wall. So it, the, yeah. uh, the reward of helping people overcome some of those obstacles, and they know they don't have to do them. They, they could easily go around them. They could skip the obstacles. They, they, if they're running the open way, they don't have to do the burpees. You know, they could take the social media backlash without doing their perfect burpees. But it, it's yeah. all about uh, helping people achieve some of the goals that they've set for themselves. And I, I like to say that um, if you really want to know what those events are supposed to be about, yeah, the elite athletes, they're awesome. They train really hard. They're good at what they do. But it's the last 15 or 20 people that cross the finish line. And, and you know from you know, with your experience in Montana with Steve Hammond sweeping yeah. the course, those last 15 or 20 people, as they cross the finish line, a radio call goes out from the build crew, the festival staff, anybody that's left in the festival area converges on the finish line. And those last 15 or 20 people get more authentic applause than the thousands of people that have already crossed the finish line, gotten their banana, and have posted their selfies on Facebook. So it's that sort of thing. It's a powerful, gritty human experience that's more rewarding than just going fast for your own amusement. No, I agree. That that was, I think, one of the best things about, you know, street team before being that last – you know, working the last shift because it was always, you know, when that last racer was coming, you got that call that said, you know, across the loudspeaker, everything, hey, you know, the last group of racers is coming. And everybody, like, would drop, I mean, leave merchandise, leave everything, and walk straight over to the finish line so they could cheer this last person in, you know, in this last group. And it's the coolest thing I think I've ever seen. And being that last group one time was, you know, seeing that is just amazing. So, yeah. I love that. Good times. Good times for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, perfect. Thank you for talking to me. Um, uh, it was – I loved it. And um, we'll definitely have to talk to you again sometime. So, um, yeah. No, this was a blast. Thank you very much. And, yeah, I will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks for Thanks for chatting with me. Oh, yeah, anytime. Thanks for listening to the BeastNet podcast. If you haven't done it yet, find us on Facebook. Like and share the podcast. Give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. All these things will help to expand the show in the future. This show is brought to you by James Safety Services in partnership with Beast OCR. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think and what you like to hear. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or at beastocr.com.